Good morning. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, as we enter Advent, we're entering a season that commemorates the coming of Jesus, the Savior to the world. Now, we know historically it's more likely that Jesus was born in the spring, so we're not trying to argue anything there. But this is a season we've set aside as a people, as a church, to intently turn our hearts back to the central figure of the season, <clears throat> and that is Jesus himself. We're doing that in a couple of ways. We're going to be walking through the narrative of Jesus coming uh, from the stage for the next four to five weeks. And then, uh, as a people, we're reading through a book. We're reading through Advent Conspiracy together. That is being read in our homes, around fires, around tables, and hopefully it's being read uh, by you and your family and a rich experience because we're leading from that time of reading into the discussion around our life groups. And we really want to be able to look at what Jesus coming really meant. And so today, as I said, I'm going to be getting into the narrative of that story. And I just got to tell you, there's going to be a lot of reading today as we look at Luke 1, because the truth be told, as, as much as I may try, but I would never try, I can't out-preach the Bible. Amen? I think it's best to turn to exactly what the gospel writers wrote about our Savior and His coming and what that meant to the world. And all I hope to do today is this, help us understand contextually the way that what it meant and the way that the people of that day saw it. So maybe our hearts might gravitate uh, to Him the way that theirs did. Because I can tell you this, today our, our title message as we look at the first week of Advent is this, we are here to worship fully. And their hearts were captivated by his coming. Advent means the arrival. And the first candle of Advent has historically been referred to as the prophecy candle or the hope candle. Today we're going to unpack as to why. You see, there was a prophecy that God would come and be amongst us. But you need to understand that prophecy was given to a people that had historically celebrated the exodus. Through the Exodus, they recognized the plague and the miracle of God. They saw themselves, their ancestors, come out of bondage to in slavery in Egypt and be led through miracle, even through walking through the Red Sea, to a place and to a land that was promised to them. They celebrate that annually. However, at the time of Jesus entering the world, they had begun to lose a little hope. Now, they didn't stop practicing. They kept practicing their sacrifices, kept practicing law. But they were going through the religious ritual without a, little, without a lot of hope as to God actually answering their promise. Because their promise that we're about to read together was that there would be a Messiah that would lead to a once and for all exodus. A once and for all exodus that would free the people of sin for all time. And so they would be his people and he would be their God. And they had a promise that he was to keep. But that prophecy came 750 years before Jesus ever entered the scene. 750 years before Jesus shows up in the scene. And that is preceded by 400 years of silence. You see, these were a people who were known as the people of God. Thus, they knew the promise was communal. It was for them. It was for the world. It wasn't just for a family or one specific person. This was a promise to the world. And so they had always seen it as communal. And for 400 years, though they had been going through religious practice, maybe even having encounter with the Lord themselves personally or as a family, there was no widespread revelation. The prophets had gone dark, and there was no communal revelation for the people. And they had begun 
to lose a little hope in the promise that I'm about to read with you together this morning. It was a prophecy in Isaiah that there would be a Savior, and that Messiah would redeem mankind from sin and unto himself. I'm going to have you stand as we read this together, and we're going to say it out loud together because this is the promise of God. Again, before the birth of Jesus shows, hundreds, centuries have passed, but this was the promise they were clinging to. Isaiah 7, verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself, time out, we're going to say this together, not just read it together, okay? We need to proclaim this promise that they've been holding to communally, okay? So here it is. Again, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for sending Jesus and loving us enough to come yourself. When we could not right ourselves, free ourselves from the bondage of sin, you sent Jesus to enter the world of the humblest of fashion, to reveal him to the humblest of people, and he came intently to die for the people in this room and the people not in this room, that you could have them for yourself. We love you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. It was also prophesied in Isaiah that there would be a forerunner, one who would pave the way for the Messiah, and his entrance into the world would be a sign that the Messiah was near. In Isaiah 40, verse 1 through 5 and 9, it says, Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 9, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Luke 1, 100, 750 years after these promises is the recounting of our Savior, Jesus, and his forerunners, John the Baptist's advent or entrance into the world. Let's read it together. Luke 1, verse 5, the coming of John the Baptist. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priest division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. Because Elizabeth was with, unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all of the worshipers assembled outside and were praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. 
He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you of this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized at that moment that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. For five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. Zechariah was an old priest of the Levite tribe, and he made his annual pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem to fulfill his priestly duties. Every Levite priest had to spend time in Jerusalem to offer sacrifice for the people. They took turns, and this was his time. It says that cast lot as it was custom. They cast lot, and it was his turn to walk into the place of sacrifice and to offer the burnt sacrifice that day. So that's where we are. As Gabriel meets him, Elizabeth is at home, a menopausal old woman past childbearing who had been barren since birth. You need to understand the crown of a woman in their day was the ability to give birth. And so if a woman was barren, unable to give birth, then she would become a midwife and help other women bring children into the world. That was her role. So here she closes this statement with hence these words, he has taken away my disgrace amongst the people. I'm a midwife, and I've been, and now I'm way past childbearing age, menopausal, and I was never given a child, even though early in my years I begged God for a child so that I would not be this disgrace, that I could accept the crown of all women, that I could bring forth a son or a child into the world and not simply be someone who helps others do the same. But God had a plan. You see, God had a plan to keep that womb closed to a time that all the people would take notice. And it was absolutely uh, unimaginable. It was absolutely impossible for the people to not take notice. When Elizabeth, the old woman who was barren all her, her days, known as a midwife, became pregnant by her faithful, priestly, old husband... When Gabriel meets Zechariah in the priestly place to sacrifice, there's a connection that happens. Gabriel comes to connect heaven to earth. And he shocks Zechariah when he stuns him with a speech of this illogical explanation of God's plan. Rendering Zechariah mute from his doubt, yet as he emerges from behind the veil, the people are hopeful because his catatonic state tells the people that he has met with and has heard from God. You see, the people are outside anticipating, waiting, just 
just, just as usual. They wait for the priest to come forth from doing burnt sacrifices. But this time they wonder why he's taking so long. Why is, it, why is he lingering in the place of sacrifice? It doesn't make sense. And when he comes out and he's unable to speak, his tongue is literally tied. And he starts waving signs at them. They in their heart and minds have had a promise that we just read that was 750 years prior to this moment that they've been waiting on, almost losing hope, and for 400 years have had no communal word. And now as their priest comes forth in silence, they have hope because they know God has spoken. Inside them, everything begins to well with hope. That's why the prophecy candle as we enter the Advent season is the hope candle because the people of God cannot help but gain hope and anticipation for what this might mean. So the people, they worship fully. With all their entirety, with all that they are, all their mind and heart, nothing within them is divided because they know that God is up to something and something is about to happen. We may be in the time of our promised exodus. Yes. And we get to see it. Though none of this logically added up to Zechariah, and thus his doubt led to temporary chastening. The people had been waiting for a communal vision for over 400 years, and they'd been without and spiritual darkness, and silence for centuries. Yes, going through the routine, maybe having a personal devotion to God, is practicing as the law prescribed, but maybe without a lot of hope. How many of you have ever gone through the ritual and the routine of the religion without a whole lot of hope? Anyone ever gotten into the practice of just doing it for tradition's sake, but losing the meaning behind what God may be doing in the ritual? But to them, faith was communal. And they were always to be a people. That was the promise. So when their priest emerges from behind the veil in silence, they knew that God had spoken. And their hope builds. And that's why we celebrate this morning with hope as we light this candle. They couldn't help but be excited to hear what God had said, and they could not help but anticipate what God would do. They worshiped, and he had more than just their attention. He had their whole, their heart, their soul, their minds, their strength. What was the first and greatest commandment? That you would love your God with all. He had them captivated. Here's what they were hopeful for, reading on in Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God had sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, just like to Zechariah, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. and The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child whom you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Folks, I want to say this real quick before we get to the next point. Here it is. The people are excited and anticipating and hopeful because they know for a fact that God is not a liar. Elizabeth worships fully. Before she can even share with her cousin, Mary, the young teenager who's not known a man but yet is pregnant with the Son of God, before she can even share with her cousin all the incredible things that have happened in the last six months, how Zachariah had been just doing the routine as a priest, yet had this encounter with God, came home catatonic, got me pregnant, the woman who was barren and past her prime, who's even stopped begging God any longer for, with a prayer for a child because supernaturally it just didn't make sense. It seems that that time has passed and it's incredibly impossible. And how this pregnancy, supernaturally, in her husband's silence, has left the people anticipating not only more from God, but God's move again. Before any of this can be discussed, Mary's presence carrying the unborn Jesus compels Elizabeth to worship, to prophesy, and to affirm Mary. You see, the, absent, the advent, the arrival, the coming, captures the complete attention of the world, and it evokes worship from every person that is being revealed to. But how about the response of the two whom Gabriel came to? And spoke specifically, Zechariah, Mary, how did they respond? Reading on. Luke 1, 46. A passage known as Mary's song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will, be call, will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud to their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their houses, from the thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and they returned home. How does Mary respond to the move of God? She worships fully. 
The truth is, God's revealed something and welcomed her into it. And this welcoming leads her to rejoice in song. It leads to her engaging and pressing in fully. She, in fact, decides to stay with Elizabeth until John can be delivered. Listen to this, playing midwife to the midwife. Playing midwife to her cousin who's ripe in age because she has played the midwife to everyone else. And the child that will be born to the cousin will be the forerunner, the one who will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, the one who will point the people to the fact the Messiah is near. She stays in an active heart rejoicing in what God is doing with her mouth vocally praising God in song and in activity of worship with her hands joins God in what he has already begun. Let me ask you a question. God shows up on the scene and God reveals what he desires to do in the least likely of places with the least likely of people. He chooses the humble. That's why she puts it in her song. To them, the righteous were rich and, and religious and well-educated. Gabriel appeared to a priest who was educated, religious, but had lost hope, was going through the religious ritual just for happenstance, lost hope of ever having a child, well into his years, lost hope that maybe he won't get to see it in his lifetime, shows up to the family lineage, a teenager who's not known a man, but one who's humble, a servant, not the rich, but the poor. And he shows up to reveal just how much he loves the very world that he created and every person that was created in his image who could not write for themselves what was set awry by our own sin, the bondage that we were left because we chose to worship ourselves. He knew we could never free ourselves of. So he decides to come himself. And that leads Mary, the virgin, the teenager, the mother of the Son of God, to worship with her entirety. Reading on, Luke 1, 57. It was time for Elizabeth to have her baby. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And listen to this. And they shared her joy. It was always supposed to be communal. It wasn't just for one family. It wasn't just for one person. It was for the people. It was always supposed to be what? C word, communal. It was for the world. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child as was custom. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, which would also be custom. But his mother spoke up and said, no, his name is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. So then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child because that was custom. Fathers named the children. He asked her writing tablet. Maybe they thought that Elizabeth in her old age having a baby was just overwhelmed, so she's crazy. He asked her a writing tablet, and everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. 
All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered what it might be, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah, in a passage in Luke 1, starting at verse 67, is titled, Zechariah's Song. His father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to prophesy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he said through his holy priests long ago, and he's kept that promise. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hates us. To show mercy to our ancestors or to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child. Can you imagine? I want to read on. Can you imagine a priest who's upward 70, 80 years old saying, my child. All I ever wanted. And you, my child, be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way before him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come up to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew, became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. What did Zechariah do? Zechariah worships fully with all that is in him. The person this chapter opens with is the person that it closes with. The old, the honest, the righteous, the faithful priest who'd continue to practice as God prescribed breaks out into song before the people because he cannot contain his vocal response to what God has and is doing. Once his ability to speak was taken, can you imagine this? You just met with the angel Gabriel in the holy place. And because you doubted, you're left mute. But I got, can I encourage you to understand something? I believe it was that day, even though he couldn't sing his song and be waiting nine months to sing that song, that a song was birthed in his heart and mind in that moment. I believe that once his ability to speak was taken, a song of worship began to birth in Zechariah that would be sung as he confessed his allegiance to this new thing that the Lord was doing. The kid had to be named John. Why? A new non-family name so the people would take notice. It was custom for the father to name the child and often to name him after himself. But this was altogether different. He wasn't supposed to have a child. This child was going to play a specific role in the redeeming of God's plan, the redeeming of his people. The sovereign plan of God was going to funnel through Zachariah's family, and it was going to be evidenced in his son. His supernatural encounter that defied logic and left him speechless literally led the world to worship and turn their eyes to Jesus and to his forerunner, anticipating what God would do. So a couple years ago, 
I came to the season of Christmas, and can I just confess something and just admit something? I was bored. You ever been bored? Ever been bored with the ho-hum and like, I had this anticipation in October and an angst that grew up within me that I had to preach Christmas and I wasn't excited about it. Because I felt like this is a story that we had heard over and over and over again and I had taken said story for granted. That narrative no longer sparked a love within me, no longer sparked a passion within me. And I gotta tell you, by the time I got to Thanksgiving, I could not wait to get in the pulpit just to read the story because God took his word and implanted it in me and showed me he's not a liar. And what happened was I started to fall in love with Jesus all over again. This Advent, my prayer for us as a church is that we will fall in love with Jesus all over again. That's why we're reading from this book and that's why we're complimenting it with another book and we're discussing it around our homes in our living rooms and we're discussing it in our living rooms or in the rooms we gather for life group. Why? Because we are to fall in love with Jesus and that should evoke worship within us fully, not a portion, with all and it should lead us to join him in what he's doing. In conclusion, the angel of the Lord came to the old, the barren couple, the young, the virgin teenager, all of which were faithful, but that led the world to worshiping, not, not just the people involved. It led the world to worshiping with everything because the world was at a desperate state. Are you at a desperate state? Is your world at a desperate state? In fact, Truth be told, as we were reminded in the Advent Conspiracy book, the truth communally, the mass revelation, came to the shepherds first. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but this was an unsavory group, an outcast group that weren't even allowed to testify in open court because they were just so untrustworthy. And he comes to them first. So he comes to the barren couple, he comes to the teenage virgin, he comes to the shepherds. You get in the drift here. This is unheard of. Anything they'd ever studied to this point, this doesn't add up. But here's what I gotta say to us. This is Christmas. This is true Christmas. A time when we as the world commemorate a simpler time, this one. This time. When the darkness was shattered by light and supernatural revelation and the silence was broken with singing. All because the Son of God would come humbly and free his people by his own sacrifices. It's not actually about the mall or your Amazon cart. It's entirely about something else, him. It's an opportunity for the church to sing, to press in, to join God in revealing his son to the word by worshiping with our entirety, worshiping fully, Spending less, giving more, and loving all with our all. How many of you have ever met with God and God spoke and you didn't like what he had to say? How many of you that scared you? Much like the angel showing up to Zacharias, showing up to Mary, they were frightened. He said, do not be afraid. How many of you were frightened by what God said or what he called you to do? How many of you just didn't like it? Here's the thing. 
when God spoke in this day, there was such a desperation within the people to hear from God that they didn't run away, they pressed in. How many of us, when God spoke and we didn't like it, we backed off, ran away? I don't like what you got to say there, God. So I'm going to ask you again, what did you say? He says the same thing. Let me ask you again. I don't think you're hearing me. Let me ask you again. And we start to back away because we don't like what God may be saying or what he may be calling us to. Here's the thing. The people, as God spoke, worshiped fully. Are you worshiping with your entirety? Are you worshiping with your all today? Or, as you enter this season, is your loyalty divided just a bit between him and you? Let's not placate. Let's not be the product of what we've been taught. Let's not become a people so consumed that we make this season an opportunity yet again for us to miss Jesus and to join him and join God in what he is doing to reveal his son to the world because we're so consumed with the stuff. I was talking with my kids just a couple weeks ago about this and it led to a great Sabbath conversation about how most of the world doesn't have clean drinking water. And most of the world eats on a bowl of rice for the day, maybe days. They don't have choices like we do. We just came out of Thanksgiving and we all feasted, right? Do you know why that doesn't have the same power it once did? Because we feasted every meal, unlike the rest of the world. And I talked with my kids about this and it led my 10-year-old to go in and build a folder. And it led my children to have a discussion at 10, 12, and 14 that said, you know what, this year, there are so many people that have or don't have. They can't even drink, they can't even take a shower hoping that they don't get some water in their mouth and they get sick. So here's what we'd like to do. We have trouble coming up with a Christmas list every year. What we want to do is we want to take the money that we'd spend on one another and we want to combine it. And we get our friends at school and our friends at church together and we want to collect as much money as we can to give people fresh drinking water in places where they need it. Because we don't need it. They do. In fact, my 10-year-old, on the front of her binder that she made with envelopes so she could gain money to do this, wrote, save their lives, not yours. I'm not saying that we clap. We're not clapping for them. Please understand. Like, my, my daughter is probably about as emphatic as I am. Save their lives, not yours, you know? But the reality is, something in her heart sparked when she was able to turn the story back to Jesus. Her eyes and heart became captivated. Her mind and heart could not help but want to worship with her all. And she desired to love everyone around her by giving more and spending less. Would the people that are leading her do the same? Would the people who are generations before her do the same because we become a people who desire to reveal by worshiping with our entirety the Son of God has come. And there are people in our lives who need to know that. How many of you know the holidays can sometimes be the darkest time for many? The light has come. Open the darkness. 
stopped the silence, and led to singing. Would his church sing as the light shines into the darkness and reveals himself to the world through us? When the world in Zechariah's day heard, they did more than just take notice. They were captivated by God and his love for us. Are we? Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us, for sending Jesus, and at his entrance, changing everything in the course of history. Thank you for loving us enough to come because we couldn't save ourselves and you unconditionally opened the door for us to be not only freed from the bondage, but welcomed into arms that love us, to be known as the people of God. Welcome to yourself. So, Father, we thank you for your plan. Father, we thank you for your son who came literally to die so that we could have this opportunity. And Father, we thank you for your spirit that convicts us, reveals this truth to us even now and leads us to worship fully. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to welcome you to respond to the Lord in one of three ways. This very truth, this very narrative that we've just read through Luke 1 so that we can make a conscious decision this year to make Christmas about what Christmas was always intended to be and and not about what it's not. This morning, the altar's open, and I want to encourage you to do this. How many of you are thankful for Jesus Christ? Sometimes I believe that we need to kneel and show that. So this altar's open. If you are grateful for Jesus and that he came, stepped out of heaven, left the throne, and was born in the humblest of fashion, came to the humblest of people, you, me, if you want to thank him for that, this altar's open. Come, kneel, thank him for coming. Thank him for arriving. Thank him for the advent. If you're today looking at the Lord's table and you go, I want to commemorate the Lord through cracker and through juice because I need to repent of making Christmas about anything other than Jesus. Anyone else in that camp today? In this season, as he has commanded us, do this in remembrance of him. I'm going to worship with my heart fully, my mind completely, my strength, all of it. And I'm going to lead my family to worship him this season. And nothing else, not ourselves, not the mall, but him. And so I'm doing this today in repentance and remember, and remembering him. And lastly, if you are here and you know someone who needs to know the truth about Christmas, know about Jesus this Christmas. The only way, listen, the only way that they will know is by the complete and utter worship of his church. So who are you called to worship fully before us, sing into the darkness because the light has come and freed you? Stopping the silence because you can't compel yourself but to worship fully before those people who are still in darkness, still in silence, knowing nothing other than to worship themselves. But God has entrusted them to you. Write their name today. Put it on the cross. Pray over it. And think about the example God has given you and coming himself as you go to them. Let's respond. I ask you to stand.